We are speaking with uh, the one and only Steve Conti, the new album, Bronx Cheer, out November 5th, 2021. And as we say here in Montreal, uh, bonjour, Steve. How are you? Bonjour. Uh, let me see if I can remember my high school French. Comment allez-vous? Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh shit! I'm mixing up with Spanish and Italian and Dutch and all the other <laughs> languages that I know about three words. <laughs> uh, très bien, merci. There you go, beautiful. Hey. So uh, we're we're going to talk about uh, Bronx cheer, obviously, because that's why we're here. But I have to say, and, and I'm going to start it like this: years and years ago, in the early '90s, I was on vacation in san diego and they had a tower records on a place called sports arena boulevard and as a young montrealer i walked in and i went through all the racks going let me find something here that we don't have in montreal and i picked up this album called company of wolves and i stuck it in the rental cars a cd player and i played it for the entire two-week vacation and became a huge company of wolves fan and then to me the band disappeared from from the radar and I never heard from it again. And then, of course, I know you have three albums, but I never heard of the other two until recently. Um, just quickly talk to me about that, because that was such a great. I mean, I had picked up it was a company of wolves and I think I picked up another band called like Salty Dog or something or Tangier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we were all kind of related. Uh, yeah. Tangier and, uh, and Company Wolves had the same management. Who was uh, Larry Mazur? He managed the. Uh, oh, I, I talked to I talked to Larry last week. Oh yeah, because he, yeah. he manages uh, Buck Cherry, and I'm helping them with the Canadian tour. Okay, so yeah, Larry managed Cinderella, Kiss at the time, yeah. the Nelson Brothers, right? And uh, he managed Tangier, and wow, he managed Tangier. Oh, we, we used to call him Bands Are Us. Really? Oh, look at this. Yeah, now, now, the, now the interview's taking a whole new wrinkle. I didn't know that because, first yeah. of all, that first Tangier album, Four Wins, is, is a fucking masterpiece. But he managed Company of Wolves, too? Yep. Oh, yeah, wow. Right from the beginning. So, yeah, that, uh, yeah, it was one of your uh, non-success stories, you know, your typical music business, especially, I, I find, uh, New York. Right. Everyone I know, all my friends that got signed, and had records out on major labels none of them ever cracked the you know the the top whatever i mean no one ever had it no one ever had a hit they had pretty much had one record and then disappeared you know all the bands like uh soraya sandy soraya tony bruno was a friend of mine you know his band tall stories my friend jack moore and steve ogiri who ended Uh, up uh, journey Journey. yes we were all related we were all on the same scene at the same time Oh, wow. A lot of bands were playing the Cat Club. Who else was it? Uh, oh, this is like this is like the uh, the the Geek Fest of minutia here. This is great. So, yeah. uh, do you ever talk to uh, um, uh, what, what's her name from Soraya again? Sandy, Sandy Soraya. Not for years. Uh, last sure. time I saw her was, jeez, sure. I think she married a dude from Tesla and uh, the band Tesla. Yeah, oh, the really? car company. And um, <laughs> yeah, of course, I think it was a guy named Brian. I'm not. I don't oh, know. Brian Wheat. Yeah. Oh, wow. And um, and then she just sort of disappeared. Um, Tony Bruno ended up in uh, a musical director for Enrique Iglesias and doing really wow. well for himself as a musical director of like pop. And that dude is a serious guitar player, man. He's like, I remember seeing him when I was like 17 and he was doing all the Van Halen shit. And, uh, wow. You've done know. some musical directing too, though, haven't you? Uh, I did. I uh, musical directed Jill Jones from Prince's band. And... Um, 
Yeah, we were going to go on tour with him. That was, uh, yeah, that was before Company of Wolves, actually. Like when I first moved to New York, uh, I was like looking for guys to get my band together with. I mean, I knew I wanted to work with my brother, of course, great bass player. Right. <clears throat> and um, before I met Keith, the singer from Company of Wolves, I played with a bunch of different people. Glenn Burtnick, who you might remember. Yeah, I know. Um, I was in his band. I did my first MTV video with him. Follow You was his single. Um, in that one. Uh, and Jill, uh, we were supposed to tour with Prince behind the Sign of the Times record. And then he uh, canceled his tour. Wow. And then I met Keith like a year later and uh, we started writing songs. And I think within, you know, it was one of these situations where we didn't like slog it out on the road for years in a van and all that. We, uh, we played a handful of gigs at uh, the Cat Club and Limelight and all these different places in New York. And then um, we got Larry Mazur as our manager through our drummer at the time, Frankie LaRocca. Yeah. Um, and we love Larry, by the way. Yeah. I love Larry, at least. Yeah, Larry, uh, also, when we get to the Michael Monroe stuff, he, he was working with us for a minute, too, recently. Oh, wow. But, oh, wow. um, yeah, so uh, there was a bidding war, blah, blah, blah. The, all these agent, um, you know, A&R guys came down to the gig. We ended up, um, we got offered three deals, Capital, uh, I remember who the third one was. Capital Mercury and somebody else. Arista, I don't know. It was MCA. But we ended up <laughs> we ended up going with um, uh, Mercury because we figured Larry had a good relationship with them because of Cinderella and Kiss uh -huh. and you know. And they had Bon Jovi on the label. Come on, they had Jovi. They had Scorpions, and you know. But the thing was, we were like, we weren't like a glammy band. We had, uh, you know, we were. Ripped jeans, T-shirts, leather jackets, boots, you know. We weren't uh, all duded out with rags and makeup and glittery stuff uh, yet. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the marketing department said, well, we don't know what to do with you guys. I'm like, what do you mean? Our favorite bands are the Georgia Satellites. What do they do with them? Do that, you know? Yeah. Because we use the Georgia Satellites producer. We use their studio. We use their amps. I mean, that was that was our thing. We were we were not like a glam metal, you know, no. kind of band. And um, that was more like was, dirty was, rock. Yeah. Pretty rootsy. And, you know, kind of ran the gamut. We went, you know, we had melodic Beatles, cheap trick, Tom Petty kind of melodies. And then we had some dirtier, you know, Stones, Zeppelin, ACDC kind of, you know, harder rock stuff. But um, we came out at the same time. As the London Choir Boys, the Black Crows, and Junkyard. Yeah. And I remember Rolling Stone Magazine did a... Um, and you had the Choir Boys on the first album doing backing vocals or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They uh, We recorded our albums in the same studio in Los Angeles. We met them. We were like out in the lounge one day. And we're like, who are these guys over here? <laughs> and we, then we, we ended up having drinks with them and then just like partying with them every night. Of course we you invited did. them into the uh, You kind of love Spike. Spike's a, Spike's a yeah. legend. Yeah, Spike and Griff, and yeah. I'm still in touch with those guys, and, and Guy Bailey also, who's not in the band anymore. But, um, yeah, so Rolling Stone did this, like, expose on, like, the, the new breed of, of blues rock band in 1990. These are the guys to watch out for. And, um, of course, we know which band got the most promotion. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, they said Company Wolves is the best 
uh, the, are the best musicians in the bunch. And, uh, you know, I still uh, show that to my landlord every time I need to pay my rent. Hey, man, I'm, I'm really good musician. I'm sorry I can't pay the rent this month. <laughs> God. Yeah. So, oh, the music uh, business is so. We got that going for us. Yeah. You know? Or we had that going for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you hand him what you hand him one of the CDs when he when he comes by for the rent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, here you go. Here you go. Let's well, you nice great cover. I still have the album, by the way. It's downstairs. Great cover. Yeah. Don't let don't get me started on the great cover. You know that's not the cover that we wanted, but we didn't know we were we were young and dumb, and and you think that the record company would have said, "Hey guys, that's not really going to look good." With you know, it, we it, wanted it, a black it, we wanted a black cover. You know, if they just would have reversed the images and made the images gray and the cover black, you know, but uh, they all were giving them what, you know, it's like Spinal Tap. Fuck the napkin, 18 inches. Remember? <laughs> but I was given this napkin. The little Stonehenge thing comes down 18 inches instead of 18 feet. Right. They're like, fuck what these guys said. It's not going to look good. Fix it. You know, but they didn't. So uh, I, we're stuck I, I with will... that album. We're stuck I... with that album cover for all, all time. Except, you know what, when I go to Europe, I see people uh, bring uh, albums around to get signed and they're white with black uh, oh, places cool. on it. And that's like, yes, if they would have just done that. You know, yeah, I have to department. say, uh, as a fan, looking at that gray cover is just like not inspiring. No offense. No, no. <laughs> uh, just, you just look at it and you go, eh. yeah, Especially yeah, in the that... glam rock there, where, where there were sequins and greens and yellows and purples and all kinds of shit. Dude, and then you have this gray that. cover, and you're just like, mm. like yeah. it's not even like a well, shiny silver. It's, it's just, it's like cloudy sky gray, and it's just like, mm. <laughs> sorry. Uh, I would, I would name, though. I would, I would uh, expose the art department head, but you know, I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. But anyway, he, <laughs> he was he, Johnny. No, he was, he was pretty lame. You know, <laughs> he just let it go. He handed it off to a, a young, you know, new Intern. guy there, and yeah, whatever. You know, it's like. They should have known. And we, I don't even think we got a proof like to look at it and say, you know, yes or no. I think they just next thing we knew, we had this thing in our hand. We're like, smell the glove is here. God. It's fucking depressing, isn't it? Do, do you think it's because of the time and they could sort of sense that the, the, the scene was changing and they just went, oh, fuck it. We signed it. We got to put it out. But eh. well, the scene wasn't changing yet. I mean, it didn't change until. Like a year later, yeah, I guess. You're well, right. ninety-one, Nirvana came out. In Bloom came out. The I have a. I remember I have a. a um, what was the label? Geffen. I have a Geffen I... compilation. It was called The Fall of DGC. It was nineteen ninety-one fall, and it had In Bloom on it. I was like, wow, this is fucking great. And of course, by that time, we were writing and recording its second album, and by the time the second record was done. Nevermind had come out and just blown up and everybody flocked to Seattle. Nobody wanted to know about a rock and roll band from New York that played like, you know, good time, rock and roll, party music, you know, fun stuff, you know, sense of humor, whatever, you know, lively. Everybody wanted grunge. Yeah, well, you notice there's no 90s revival tours going out there. You know, next year when the stadium tour hits, it's going to be Def Leppard and and Motley Crue. It's not going to be these fucking bands from Seattle. No offense. Well, I, you know, (laughs) to be fair, I did like, I liked Nirvana a lot. I liked Soundgarden. Um, I liked Stone Temple Pilots. Um, You know, I, those are probably, you know, because they were the biggest of the ones I knew. I didn't really dig 
very deep to find out what else was going on. Oh, Mother Love Bone. That was my favorite of all of them. That was, that was a decent record, I got to yeah, say. Yeah, and then they turned into Pearl Jam, and I really didn't go for Pearl Jam. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was the story. You know, we came out. We did real good. We had, like, four singles on the, in the top 20 on uh, AOR radio, and they were, uh, they were supposed to cross uh, the, our song, The Distance, they were supposed to cross that over to like what they called CHR back then, Contemporary Hit Radio, because uh, we had uh, AOR, album-oriented radio, was on Call of the Wild. And then uh, the video department had the genius idea, you know, they gave our Call of the Wild video to MTV, and they were playing it on lunar rotation, you know, midnight, whatever. And uh, we had made a video for uh, The Distance, which was like almost like a Tom Petty kind of middle, you know, mid-tempo. Not a ballad, but, you know, uh, really nice melodic songs should have been a hit, you know. And they thought, you know what? Let's pull the video from MTV. Let's pull Call of the Wild from MTV and save our power for the hit, The Distance. And you know what? They pulled Call of the Wild, our one shot to get on MTV. It was maybe on there for a week. And they pulled it off. And then they showed them The Distance. And they hated it. And they said... That's it. We're not playing it. And then, then the video department went, well, can you put this one back on? No. So the Call of the Wild didn't go back on. The Distance never went back on. And that was it. It goes right along with the gray album cover. You know? Oh, the gray album cover. And uh, we'll, we'll get over to Bronx cheer on this. But uh, you, you mentioned, like many others, that Nirvana killed the scene. I've well, always they... said that Nirvana didn't. I've always said is that the fact that the rock bands just kept putting out power ballad after power ballad. You look at... Right. Rock in 83, 80, 45, it was looks that kill, it was photograph. It was, and then you get to 89, 90, and it's don't go away mad. Every rose has, and it's just like, oh, for fuck's sake, are you going to rock? Or are you just, <laughs> just going to fucking? Yeah, more than words and all that. Oh, just, yeah, it was, I mean, it was it, awful. I don't, I don't know if it was, uh, you know, because around 95, the boy band thing really started big, you know, in sync and uh, whatever, new edition. I don't know if it was new edition, but. Whatever, Timberlake's band, what was that? Was that Insync? 98 Degrees and all that? 98 Degrees. Yeah. So, O-Town. <laughs> yeah, so, so maybe that was, a, a, you know, coming out of that, you know, like, oh, we have to have, like, sensitive songs that little girls can get into? I don't know. Um, and we had a nice ballad on our record, uh, Everybody's Baby. It was just an acoustic thing. Uh, but, I mean, we had written and recorded that back in, like, 88, way before the... the or 80 yeah we met in 88 it was like the third song me and keith ever wrote that was just part of what we did you know and um but we never got that far where we could release that as a single and you know uh i wouldn't say nirvana killed the scene because that would make me sound bitter i mean i do uh, the scene needed changing there was some horrible shit going on with the glam metal stuff you know real stupid idiotic Listen, lyrics you know she's we like had our a bands we that. had our b bands and by by 90 we were getting to the c and the d and the e bands i mean we we were starting to slowly dilute the quality i mean when you're when you're down to no offense to anybody but sleaze bees and shit this is like all right enough already no offense to the boys <laughs> but the dutch band actually yeah, it's just like all right. It's like that's a like timeout. We, 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 we don't. We're done. <laughs> we're done. Uh, I mean, even what were the A-list bands back then were were you know to us we couldn't stand them. You know your your poisons and your warrants and your you know 
Rat had a kind of a cool thing, but um, I liked uh, D. Martini. He's a good guitar player. Um, yeah, but in general, uh, that wasn't our scene. But, but the we power were, we ballads were, were just—it was just—it was too much. It's like, you know, Aerosmith puts out "Get a Grip," and it's like f- four songs are like power ballads, and you're like, right. Oh, where's my well, they were into play? like the, they were into the hit making machine by that point. You know, they had uh, Glenn Ballard writing songs for them, Jim Valance, you know, uh, Desmond Child, probably Holly Knight, Holly Knight, whatever. They had like Kravitz, they had you know, uh, or Jagger, or somebody was uh, I can't remember who was they had guests on the record. And you know, it wasn't the Aerosmith. I mean, I did really love uh, Permanent Vacation and Pump, and yeah, then, me too, and then. After Pump, I just, I turned off. I switched off, you know. Well, and well, here, well, I'll, I'll end on this so we can go down, get on to Bronx cheer. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, Done With Mirrors comes out and I'm like, oh, they're back. Then Permanent Vacation comes out and I went, oh, they're really back. And then Pump came out and I went, oh, look at this. Number one band, I'm going to go see, the, you know, I saw them on tour five, six times each each tour. And then Get a Grip comes out and I'm just like, amazing crying it's like ah, and then the the good song you know fever and shut up and dance were sort of like man i was just like mm, mm. that being said <laughs> they're still one of my favorite bands of all time but you know i have to go back to my favorite album rocks you know and toys in the attic and yeah, you know you i mean those those are the ones you know toys and get your attic. wings get your wings even you know yeah yeah toys even in the attic to me is my favorite i know everybody says rocks rocks is my second i, I to me toys you got Sweet Emotion, you got Walk This Way, Big Ten Inch, Uncle Salt. No more, no more. No more, no more. Uh, I mean... Nobody's I, fault. Well, that's, I mean, nobody's... that's on rocks. Oh, okay. Uh, I mix it up with the other one from... There's one that sounds just like it on uh, Toys. No more, no more. No, no. no it's more, another, like, no dark, more. grungy... Uh, do you remember? On Toys that? in the Attic? Yeah. Uncle yeah, there's a, there's a grungy... Uh, Adam's Apple? No, no, I love Adam's apple. Uh, hey, try, hold on. We'll try, we'll which... Hey, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a song list track listing for Toys in the Attic by Aerosmith. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm determined. I didn't find that oh, come music. on, you jerk. No, here, I'll do this. Here, 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 here. Siri. Uh, I got on my, my phone here. Aerosmith, Toys in the Attic. Aerosmith. Sorry, folks. If you're uh, Toys in the Attic. Here we are. Toys in the Attic. What do we got here? Uh, let's see. Uncle Saul, the dog's getting... Uh, no More, No More, Round and Round, You See Me Wow, crying. am I wrong about that? Yeah, maybe I'm wrong about that. Big Ten Inch, Walk Round and round. round. Round and Round. That's the one. Yeah, that's oh, it. Round and Round and Round and Round. Listen to Round and Round and Nobody's Fault back to back next time. You'll see what I mean. They're both really slow and like minery and dark. So, yeah, anyway, Rocks, though, you know, I did two records with Jack Douglas and I would always just pump him for Rocks stories. And he said, you know, that was his the, his favorite album of his career. Now, maybe imagine John Lennon was, but uh, but that was like Aerosmith's best record. He said they he remembers every minute of it when they came up. They were like in a warehouse and they came up with the shit together. And he was like the fifth, the sixth Beatle, so to speak, you know, like kind of arranging it with them and writing it with them and it was real organic and you can hear that on that record it's a, it's a 
great, listen, it's a great record. All right, let's get over to your record here. We're, yeah, we're, come on, let's talk about me and nothing about Aerosmith. <laughs> we're talking about Aerosmith. We're talking about Company of Wolves. Uh, Bronx Cheer, of course, is out uh, November 5th. Overnight Smash is uh, the single. It's currently out. You can see the video on YouTube. Uh, and, of course, you can pick it up on the streaming sites. Uh, talk to me about, about putting this together and... and doing a, a solo record for the lack of a better word you've been doing the michael monroe stuff and and just real quick um sensory overdrive and blackout states and, and even one man gang by michael are just fantastic rock i mean just fucking phenomenal records um, what about horns and halos oh, i forgot about that one yeah that one's good too yeah everything they've done and everything he's done in the last decade that they've just been one is better than the next just thank you just he's he's been hitting it I don't know Thank how you. involved you are in creating those, but very really well. Um, up until One Man Gang, uh, well, let's see. Ginger was the principal writer on uh, Century Overdrive. Then uh, rocks. Then Horns and Halos was like my record because Ginger left, and they were like, "Oh no, Ginger left. Who's going to write songs?" I'm like, "Hello," <laughs> uh, and I wrote. I brought them some of my own my songs that I had finished myself at home ballad of the lower east side was mine um don't block the sun which was a, a bonus track and uh saturday night special and then uh we had a bunch of jams that you know the guys brought in riffs dragon on guitar and, and sammy yep, would bring from, uh, riffs. babies yep. yeah i know they're bringing people. riffs and i would you know put lyrics and melodies to them and make songs out of their riffs and you know so that was uh that one was really, uh, I have a heavy hand in that one. And then Blackout States as well. Rich Jones joined and uh, we wrote quite a few together. I had a couple of my own. Rich had a couple of his own. And then One Man Gang, it sort of shifted. Rich started writing more. And uh, we're working on a new one now. Good. I'm because looking forward pandemic to it. Just, pandemic just killed the, the tour. You know, I think we probably played. Uh, we did like four months of touring on One Man Gang, unfortunately. And then that was it. So time to do a new one. I agree. He, he's you been know? on fire for the last decade. I mean, it's it's been yeah. terrific to see and, and terrific to hear, quite frankly. But uh, Bronx cheer. <laughs> Bronx cheer, okay. But we don't Because I was told you I was really got to leave at 11, so we got to talk about Bronx cheer before you have to have, have to bail. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, I got the cable guy coming. <laughs> changing i'm getting rid of verizon fios fuck you verizon fios you suck um but, like so, in Canada. Uh, <laughs> but all right so, um, so bronx cheer how much cheer, of this yeah. is 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 new how much of this is stuff that you've collected over the last 10 20 years how much is is all you is it uh talk to me about how it came well you, you you do know that i have it's not my first solo album right uh, yes of course Okay. No, no, no. But I mean, no. uh, uh, in terms of, of writing, I mean, you know, when you write, sometimes you look back and you go, oh, I've had this song 20 years ago. And I oh, just, yeah. Uh, oh, there's plenty of those. Okay. Um, yeah, because I did the Steve Conte and the Crazy Truth album in 2009. Then yep. I did uh, Steve Conte NYC in 2014. Yep. Put out uh, International Cover Up, cover up. Covers album in 2015. 16. I did the single uh, Gimme Gimme Rockaway in 17. Yep. And that's actually on the new album. Good. Steve Van Zant, uh, you know, he owns the label and he was like, you got to put that song on there. I was like, okay, so, you know, <laughs> so, uh, but uh, yeah, so that one is obviously from 2017, but it was never on an album, Rockaway. So uh, that, that went on. Uh, 
the way I usually, you know, do my albums, I start with like a handful, like a core of uh, maybe four or five new songs. And um, I just have such an extensive back catalog of good songs that have never been recorded, never been released, that I go back and I search through my, uh, luckily I don't have to search through cassette tapes anymore. I just go right to my iTunes and uh, I can search by genre or words or whatever style. Um, and I find, you know, I pick out songs that would go with it. I sent my uh, co-producer, Andrew Hollander, 50 songs for this album. That was one of his main jobs on this album was to help me weed through all the material and, and pick uh, 10 songs that went together. And first we couldn't decide. We had 20 songs. We were like, okay, we're going to make two records. We're going to make uh, a rock and roll record and a, like an Americana kind of a, you know, songwriter record. Uh -huh. you know? And uh, well, in the end, I was like, you know what? I just, I can't afford to do two records because... I was funding it myself. So I said, you can't so pay them with Company of Wolf CDs? <laughs> what, you mean the Rolling Stone article? Yeah. 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 yeah here. I'm the best musician in the bunch. Yeah. Here you go. Uh, so, uh, no, I had, to, um, I had to just pare it down and say, look, we got to do one album. So let's take the best of the, that rock and roll album and, you know, make sure that there's enough, like, real quality songwriting on it, too. So I added... Uh, couple of the older songs, uh, Flying, which is uh, a really nice ballad, which I have a video coming out for this month. Um, an epic video, really beautiful video. Um, that was from 1994. Nice. It's like the start of grunge. That's what I was writing. It's, <laughs> a, it's, a, it's a post beautiful, Company of Wolves track. There you go. Beautiful, uh, soulful ballads. You know? And Guilty also is from 1994. That's another kind of R&B, gospel, soul flavored thing. Um, so those were, uh, from the nineties, um, the opener human animals from like 2008 liar, like you, the second track is actually something I used to sing when I was 15 years old wow. in, back in high school. I, it was never a finished song, but I just used to sing that chorus to myself. And, uh, it, uh, I, after some experiences with the people in the music business, I was like, you know, I think it's time to finish that song, you know? Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it runs the gamut. And the new songs were like Wildwood Moon and uh, Sexy Lies and uh, what else? I'm not looking at the track listing, so. Let me see. Do I have the track listing here? No, they didn't send oh, me a track Oh, wait a minute. Listing. Choose free up space to continue. Free hey, it's space. cutting me off. Are you still have my uh, visual there? Yeah, I still have your visual. Oh, okay. Wow, that was a weird thing. Oh, oh my computer our, our, is telling our, my computer is telling me that uh, I my disk is almost full. That's uh, weird, but this this is streaming. It shouldn't be uh, anyway. Whatever. Uh, yeah. No, just, just by the way, since you mentioned uh, sort of uh, R and B and or rhythm, you know, um, what exactly was your relationship with with Dan Hartman? You were his guitarist, right? No, I actually um, no. Well, I worked with uh, Charlie Midnight. Gotcha. You know, Dan Harmon and Charlie Midnight, they wrote um, Living in America for James yeah. Brown. Right. And uh, I started playing in Charlie's band and Dan came and saw the band and liked me and recommended me for the, the Jill Jones, the Prince girl. He recommended me for her gig. And actually, I did my first ever record date in New York City when I first I had been living in New York for like a month. And Dan called me to 
play on a record. Remember a band called King? Mm-hmm. Uh, English guy? Yep. Well, I was a one guy, Paul King. He uh, tapped me to play on King's album. And um, then, you know, he started recommending me for all kinds of stuff. George Michael, he recommended me for like crazy gigs. Um, Good gigs. But uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't go for that. But um, yeah, that was my relationship. I didn't, never played with Dan. I never played a note of music with him. But um, okay, he was a nice guy, and uh, yeah, I just uh, I, I knew there was a, a, a six degree of separation, and I, and I never could figure out. I, I I looked it up, and it said played guitar for him live, and I went, really? Uh, yeah, okay, but uh, yeah, it right. might have been Charlie Midnight uh, reference, but uh, gotcha. Yeah, I I don't even know if we ever met face to face. I think he just called me up. We talked a couple times. Yeah. Anyway. The the other thing that I that I'm curious about because since we're we're sort of all over the map here is you you've done music for these Japanese anime uh, movies correct yes with, with Yoko Kano 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 uh, uh, talk to me about that because that that's a whole different art I mean when you go into Hollywood and you're going to go do whatever the new Tom Selleck movie they they throw it up on the screen and and it's a whole different thing at least that's how I view it. Um, is it, how does the, how does the, the work, how does it work for anime to compose this music? Do, do you see the thing and then get inspired or do you have a piece and they say, I want to take it and. Okay. So yeah. I didn't write it. First of all. Okay. I was just the singer. Gotcha. I was the hired singer for that. Okay. Right. So okay. the music was all written by Yoko Kano, written, arranged. Uh, the lyrics were written by a American guy called Tim Jensen, but, um, Cowboy Bebop is, the exception to the rule of every, and I think it's the first anime of its kind that did this. Um, they gave uh, the composer the storyline and the characters. They said, this is what's going to happen in this scene. And the anime wasn't even drawn yet. There was no visuals to give her. So just based on the emotion and the, the story, what was supposed to happen, she created the music. The lyricist wrote the lyrics. I sang it and then they played that for the animators and the animators drew the animation to the music. So the music inspired the visuals absolutely backwards from the way that it normally is in all films, really. You know, when you do film music, they send you, uh, you know, the visuals with like a temp, temp track in there. It'll be like uh, some song they can't afford, like a Zeppelin song. It'll be like, oh, they want $200,000 for this. Uh, can you knock it off and write something that sounds like this? You know? But that wasn't happening here. They, they had the music first and uh, it inspired the visuals. So I'm pretty proud of uh, knowing that, that there was some animator getting inspired by listening to my voice. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah. Is that something that you do a lot of or was that just sort of a one-off? I mean, is that something you want to get in? Like, oh, here. I did. I don't know if you know Kevin Valentine, the drummer. He's yeah. uh, he was he's with Don Iris. He's played with Kiss, and uh, he's been you know he's played with Cinderella too. And 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 I was talking to Kevin, and I said, "Well, why aren't you on tour? Why aren't you with these bands?" And he goes, "You know what? I got into scoring films. I stay at home. I see my family. I make mm -hmm. six figures. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to be on a tour bus. It's fantastic." Yeah. Um, I mean, if I was a drummer who didn't write songs, I'd be the same way because <laughs> I would love to stay home and be with my family and not right, go on the road. Right. But I'm a singer. I'm a songwriter. I'm a guitar player. I'm a live player. I do studio work. I do 
write and contribute to TV and film and all that. Uh, I haven't scored anything yet. I would really love to. But, uh, you know, I always say until I have to make that move, you know, which it seems like I'm never going to have to. Um, uh, it's not like I'm, you know, rolling in the, the millions or anything, but I am uh, happy with what I'm doing. Right. I love playing my own music. I love sitting in the backseat and just playing guitar with people like Monroe and New York Dolls and Billy Squire and all these other people I've worked with. Um, so that's fun when they call and, and say, you know, you want to come out on the road and earn a living. Uh, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. yeah wow. Is Billy uh, so, still touring? Is Billy Squire still touring? No, he hasn't for, for years. I think the last tour that he thought. did was probably 20 years ago. No. 2010 or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's yeah. Been a long time. Yeah, he did a tour. I mean, he hasn't done like a rock record since the album I played on with him in 1993, Tell the Truth. That was his last rock record. And then he took off for like 10 years and he came out in around 99, I think, with uh, Happy Blue. It was an acoustic record. And as far as I know, that's the last record that he's done. He may have done another acoustic record. He's been playing acoustic blues shows with G.E. Smith recently. But he like put a band together and uh, and did like a tour in, in the mid we need, we need to get Billy Squire and Alda Nova on a, on a co-headline tour. <laughs> Did they ever play together? <laughs> no, but they they both had great success and then sort of just vanished. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Alda, Alda Nova didn't he have just one song, Fantasy Life or whatever? Fantasy, yeah. I mean, I mean, blood, Billy, on, blood on the bridge. You know, but... If you go back to you know, Billy had the Piper albums. I love those Piper records. He had those two albums of Piper, Can't Wait, and the first one, and then he had Tale of the Tape, and then. Uh, you know, don't say no, and emotions, emotion, uh, whatever the other ones were here and now, and you know, he, he had quite a quite a nice run there. Yeah, uh, Bronx Cheer, of course, out November fifth. Are we hoping to get out on the road and tour it, or are you still in the whole? Ah, it's COVID. Let's just let's just. Yeah, I'm working on a, a record release party in New York, um, okay. the 29th of this month. Um, that's okay. if that's the only gig I play this year of my own music, so be it. Um, gotcha. Because we're going to do that, and then I'm going to run off to Finland to make a new record with Monroe. That'll be great. And uh, yeah, so uh, but uh, it's been going great with uh, the record label Wicked Cool with with Bronx Cheer. They've released three singles so far. We got a a fourth, and then a fifth one coming out. And another video coming out, and then the album drops November fifth. Uh, yeah, November fifth. November fifth. And um, yeah, they've been doing a great job. I'm real happy with uh, with uh, with Michael Monroe. We know that Ginger went back to the Wild Hearts. Is Dragon still still with him or no? No, Rich Jones has been in the band since 2013, okay. maybe. Okay. From the Black Halos. Black, yeah, look at that. Black Halos, uh, Backyard Babies, Wild Hearts. That's. Yeah. He's working with some some prime real estate right there. That's, that's yeah. some, some good folks right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there you go. Um, I, I guess we'll uh, we'll wrap up. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks, man. Good talk and, to you, Mitch. Um, and I don't know for where... me because uh, again, I uh, I love that company of Wolves record, and then you just vanished, unfortunately. So me well, and my gray found... cover, we we cried on the pillow often. I just went look at this gray cover. What the hell? Uh, <laughs> But I still have the CD downstairs, and I still pull it out once in a while. 
Well, you found me. So, you know, keep in touch. And uh, for all your listeners out there, your viewers, um, thanks. And uh, you can find me on the web, stevecontinyc.com, or, you know, all the usual places, Facebook, Twitter, Twitter Instagram, YouTube. I have a YouTube channel, um, which I hope to be doing a lot more with, being that, uh, you know, this is the, the time when we sit at home and post videos of ourselves yeah. playing and teaching and all that. Um, yeah, you know who does it? With... You know who does it really well is Leland Sklar, the guy who plays. I love Lee Sklar. Yeah, of course. Yeah. He has his own YouTube channel, like 150,000 or 200,000 followers, and he posts a little video of him playing bass every day. Like this is how I did, you know, no jacket required. But it's it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's I, I haven't. I've I've seen. I've only seen him like pontificating about uh, you know various you know <laughs> political things or like how, why he got banned from facebook you know or stuff like that i haven't really seen him do the, the bass playing thing but he certainly got enough hit records where he could under his belt where he could talk about you know, probably you know till the day he dies a, a new song every day you know and, yeah. and uh, never repeat himself two thousand albums he's played on well there you go i think i can count mine on four hands maybe <laughs> <laughs> two hands two feet there you go thank you Steve as we say in Montreal merci beaucoup it's been absolute pleasure pleasure's mine thank you see you there next you time cheers cheers there you go